All right, if you're following the bulletin outline, the first point there under Lot's rescue and Sodom's destruction is a statement about God's mercy to Lot and his family. By the providential watch care of God, Lot, his wife, and the angelic visitors made it through the night despite the lustful attempt of the Sodomites to storm Lot's house. The angels had struck the sexual predators with blindness, verse 11, so they could not find the door. The next morning, verse 15, with the coming of dawn, Lot was urged to vacate Sodom. Hurry, is what they said. So things were now at the point wherein there was no hope for Lot's extended family. Lot was given the charge, verse 12, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belong to you? Notice angels are not omniscient. Omniscience is a character, an attribute of God. God alone, the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Angels don't know the future. They don't know the present. They only know what they're instructed to do. Well, anyway, they're surmising. They're saying to, to Lot something like this. If you have other people in this city, if you have uh, sons, daughters, sons-in-law, daughters-in-laws, and so forth, we're giving you the opportunity to go and warn them. Get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. I think to Lot's credit, <clears throat> he complied immediately to this charge by the angel. Look at verse 14. So Lot went out and yeah, he spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to marry his daughters. And he said, hurry, get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy this city. But his sons-in-law thought that he was joking. Obviously, uh, if someone thinks that that of which you warn them is a joke... They will not take you seriously, and when you are not taken seriously, uh, you, your warning will go unheeded. And this is precisely the case with Lot. His testimony in spiritual matters had been so compromised by his willingness to reside in Sodom and even to take on the position of a city magistrate. Compare verse 1 where he is sitting at Sodom's gateway. That's where all the judges sat. And also look at verse 9. So he had become part of the upper echelon of the city of Sodom, its government. And for all this and more, Lot's sons-in-law could not take him seriously when he warned of God's impending destruction of the city. Really? Lot? You, you must be joking. Years ago when I was working for the bus company as a public affairs administrator, I joined, I joined more 
than seven community and state organizations to address public transit, the issues for local communities, and primarily I advocated for better access and less expensive costs for seniors needing transportation. I was constantly confronted with moral issues involving everything from greed to special interest groups pushing for their own agendas. That's what happens in these committees, by the way. And it's not just in Washington, D.C., it's in the state of Michigan. Many of these uh, special interests were, were a violation of my conscience to the biblical charges of Scripture. But I hung in there. I, I did. I, I thought, <clears throat> well, I can't win all the battles, but for the sake of the greater good, you see how Satan tempts us to compromise? For the sake of the greater good, maybe I, maybe I can be of some help. So I hung in there. My wake-up call came one day when I was serving on the State Advisory Council. The State Advisory Council, uh, the members are appointed by the governor. So I was appointed to this council. Well, we got in, and, and our job was to advise the council. We weren't the council. We're not the governor's council. We were the State Advisory Council. Advisory, my operative word there. So we, well, one day we got into a discussion of accessibility of transportation for seniors and a member of the state council, not our council, the state council, they're, they're responsible for implementing, if they want to, what the advisory council advises them to do. So we were making our proposal. And on this particular day, <clears throat> a in-your-face proud lesbian stood to publicly criticize the, the advisory council's recommendation because, in her words, there was no specific provision in our proposal for homosexual seniors, of which she was one, to access public transportation. Now I thought about it. In other words, she wanted a special dispensation of access for homosexuals to transportation written into our advisory proposal, lest they be discriminated against, of which there was absolutely zero evidence. I mean, think about this. How many homosexual seniors ride the bus in contrast to the general public, and when they ride the bus, do they board the bus and drop their money into the fare box and then announce to all of the passengers and to the bus driver, oh, by the way, I'm gay. It was absolutely absurd. But she wanted and advocated for a special dispensation to be put into our proposal. And I sat there in, in the advisory council, the advisory council. We had written the report. And I watched and I listened as member after member of the advisory council caved in by agreeing to go back to the drawing board, rewrite our recommendation to include this special dispensation clause in the proposal to the governor. 
and I realized then how little influence I had had in the public forum of 40 appointed governor advisory members. What had I done? I had had no impact. Though for four years of service I had spoken up numerous times for Christian principles in our council deliberations, but when it came to the critical issues and going on public record in our recommendations, the council caved to the gay special interests. I knew then that I must resign, which I did. Very humbling wake-up call. You think you're doing something to promote something good for the community, in this case for seniors, and you learn that your influence has been zero. Lot went to his sons-in-law to warn them of God's impending judgment on Sodom, but his warning fell on deaf ears. His impact was zero. He had no influence on their decision. And could they not even consider that Lot would heed his own warnings and flee the city with the two daughters which they claimed to love and to whom they were pledged to marry. Hey, he's, he's going well, he's, he's to leave. <clears throat> he's going to take our intendeds with him. No, they didn't think that way at all. These men were not about to uproot their own lives because of some, <coughs> excuse me, absurd story by their soon-to-be father-in-law that destruction from God hung over Sodom. Lot had no choice but to leave <coughs> his pledged sons-in-law to their preferred folly. I say that because the assumed joke would soon be upon them. But by then there would be no salvation for them. What was Lot to do? Well, there was only one thing left for him to do if he was going to be obedient to God. <clears throat> and that's the second point in our outline. Lot, his wife, and his two daughters left Sot, however, hesitantly. Hesitantly. We read the two angels said, verse 15, Hurry, take your wife. Your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. In other words, Lot could not pine the loss of his daughter's suitors if that is what he was thinking. He had warned them. He had tried to persuade them of the dangers they were in, but they laughed at him. And it was their way of saying to Lot, oh, <laughs> you must be kidding Leave all our friends, leave all our possessions on your word of an impending judgment? We're not buying it. We plan to stay right here where we are. But the angels reminded Lot, hey, you have your wife. You have your daughters who are here with you. Take them and go. Hurry. 
Go now without delay. Or what? Or you will be swept away with the city when it is punished. Translation. Lot, it's true. (laughs) You can't save your sons-in-law, but you can save yourself. You can save your wife. You can save your two daughters. But you have to move now. And you have to move quickly. Lot was warned that delay was not an option. Why not? Verse 15. You will be swept away when the city is punished. That's why not. Verse 17. The angels use the words flee two times. Flee for your lives. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. There's nothing here but a sense of urgency in the angel's warnings. When God has made up his mind to send judgment, it's no time to dilly-dally the time away. Hoping against hope that you will somehow be spared because you are God's child. Yeah, God's child you may very well be, but a disobedient child will reap same consequences in these situations as the people of whom the mark on whom the mark of judgment is certain let me ask it this way will you stick with your worldly friends even when your own life and immediate family are in jeopardy but they're my friends Even with all this warning and urging by the destroying angels, look at verse 19. When Lot hesitated. Oh, what a sad commentary here. When Lot hesitated, the men, the angels, grasped his hand and the hand of his wife and of his daughters and led them safely outside of the city. Can you believe this? I'm... He hesitated. I believe it. Brethren, the world and our attachment to it becomes so strong at times that godly decisions and urgency to obey God's warnings fall by the wayside. Notice, even when finally, finally, physically, outside of Sodom and on the road to deliverance, look at what happens. Lot argues with God's escape plan. He was told, verse 17, don't look back, don't stop anywhere in the plain, flee to the mountains, verse 17. But Lot protested. No, my lords, please. Please what? Context shows us. Please don't make me flee to the mountains. Let me settle in in the little town of Zor. It's little. It's, 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 it's insignificant. Now this was one of the plain cities. Let me ask something. Is a little same-sex sexuality something we should tolerate? God's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and all the plain cities, but this Zor is a little town in the plain cities, and Lot is begging to go there. 
Well, the angels acquiesce to Lot's request concerning Zor, which the name means a little. It's kind of a way God putting is putting in the text. Okay, you want to go to little, we'll let you go to little. There's consequences for that. Reading ahead, look at verse 36. It tells us it didn't last long. He did go to Zor, but why didn't it last? Lot and his two daughters left Zor and settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zor. He was still in danger. What was God's plan? Verse 17. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains. Well, finally, Lot got to the mountains, but not before trying out his own idea and seeing how futile it was. So that's the first thing. As they were brought out of the city, he, he devises this secondary plan. It's not God's plan, but he thinks this is better. Second thing that happened in all this is stated in verse 26, but Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of Saul. She, with Lot, was told, verse 17, flee for your lives. Next statement, don't look back. There's been a lot of speculation as to why she did this. Was she concerned for her daughters and the fact that their intended husbands were being left behind? Was that her concern? Was she fearful of losing her friends and her homestead? Did she have friends that were that important that she couldn't let them go? We don't know all these answers. What we do know is that she chose to defy a direct order by God's warrior angels not to look back. Was the incineration of her friends and potential sons-in-law so curious that she just, she just had to take a, a peek? Jesus' analysis is the most helpful in understanding the actions of Lot's wife. Let me read it for you. He's speaking. Jesus is speaking. In the days of Lot, people were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is in the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one who's in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife. And then he ends this way. Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. Luke 17, verses 28 through 33. Jesus seems to indicate that Lot's wife was concerned 
for the things, the things she had to abandon. She had to abandon them because of their hasty departure. Things she valued, things she could not bear to leave behind. All she and Lot had were, after all, the clothes on their backs. She longed for more. It was not enough to escape with her life. She must try to save what she could. She lost her life that day. Jesus' words seemed to indicate perhaps loss of eternal life because her affections were on earthly material things. The Apostle John words it this way, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 1 John 2, verse 15. We remember that Lot was very wealthy. Remember? The parting of him and Abraham had to do with the fact that both of these men had vast livestock and the Terrain, the grazing land couldn't support the hundreds, probably thousands of livestock that the two of them possessed together. And so Abraham gave Lot the choice of that area to choose for himself. And he chose the whole Jordan Valley and he settled in the city, the plain cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot's wife, she had it. She had the money. Money, honey. And she just couldn't leave all that behind. That brings us to the third point, the annihilation of Sodom. We read in verses 23 and following, by the time Lot reached Zor, so he did go there, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. Genesis 19, verse 23. Excavation south of the Dead Sea in the community noted in Genesis 13 as the cities of the plains, wherein we are told Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Genesis 13, verse 12. These were the cities that formed the federation of Sodom and three other cities, including Bela or Zor, four cities against five when the they had this battle, and Lot was captured in that battle, and Abraham had to go rescue him. We remember studying that, Genesis 14. The battle took place in the valley of Siddim, S-I-D-D-I-M, which was full of tar pits, Genesis 14, verse 10, and proved to be a snare for the fleeing federation of Sodom and those allied with it. This valley at the southern end of the Dead Sea is where Sodom and the cities of the plain were located. Think about this now. The valley itself, the ground around these cities and the plains was filled with tar pits. You know anything about tar and fire? 
some of the, uh, this is all outlawed now. When my dad and I were in the trash business, we took people's um, tires. Can't do that anymore. You have to take them to the recycle center. So we took these tires home, and we piled them on dad's farm property, big, high. Eventually, we had tire burning day. We kids, who were pyromaniacs in miniature, <laughs> loved tire-burning day. Dad would go out there and douse those tires with uh, kerosene, maybe even a little gasoline, which he shouldn't have done. Poof, you throw that, boom. Nothing burns higher, hotter, than tar, rubber, rubberized things of that nature. And it would burn all day, and the smoke, unbelievably pitch black because of all of that. Well, excavation in the late 70s by geologists and anthropologists unearthed what is believed to be or have been Sodom and Gomorrah. Their, their modern names are Numeria and Baba Adoram. And you can read that. Go on the internet. I'll give you the, I'll give you the site. But here's what they say <clears throat> in their report. Occupied for less than a century, the remains were better preserved in Numeria, that would be Sodom, than at Bab Adra. Textiles, string, rope, seeds, even a cluster of grapes survived amazingly well. But every room was filled with ash and burned debris from the dreadful holocaust that overtook that city. You can go on the internet and look for the discovery of the sin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And you can read this. And this report goes page after page. I could only give you a little snippet here. But it agrees with verse 24 of our text. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. And thus he overthrew these cities the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord and he looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah, towards all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace this black, heavy smoke. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham, and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. Genesis 19, verses 24 and 29. That's what happened. And archaeological discoveries, geologists' discoveries, in the 70s, verifies the report. Now, there are, as you might expect, some sobering lessons to learn from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lesson number one, our testimony to our unsaved relatives and friends is only credible, only credible, if our lives support our words, our warnings. I have absolutely no doubt that when Lot went to warn his future sons-in-law 
about Sodom's destruction, that he was sincerely concerned about their welfare. His intent was noble. His resolve committed. He desired that they, along with his wife and two daughters, would escape God's judgment and go on with life. Likely, Lot talked to these men on other occasions about spiritual things. But the subject of impending judgment seemed to be a far stretch for his sons-in-laws to accept. I mean, after all, Lot had lived there in Sodom for many years. He had risen to the place of judge in the city. His original move to the Jordan Valley was because his livestock was vast in number and his, this valley afforded him the wherewithal to maintain wealth, his wealth. And he was wealthy. Were they now to believe that Lot was planning to actually vacate the city because of an assumed warning of judgment from God? How likely was that? Come on, Dad, that's the best joke we've ever heard. Lot's warning sounded comical them because had Lot really believed that the sin of Sodom was so wicked as to call for the punishment, verse 15, of God, wouldn't Lot have packed his bags and moved out long ago? Why the rush now? So I have to ask you this morning and I ask myself, how does your warnings resonate with your relatives and friends. Paul writes, the night is nearly over, the day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. As in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissensions and jealousy, Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful flesh. Romans 13, verse 12 through 14. When our witness does not match our behavior, we are branded by the world as hypocrites. This is why the I think uh, the underlying reason for Lot's sons-in-law to laugh at him when he warned them to flee Sodom. They didn't use the word hypocrite, but they treated him like, you don't even believe your own warnings. You know? Why are you here? They just couldn't connect it. It's a tremendous lesson to when our lives don't match our witness, we're not taken seriously. Don't you want to be taken seriously when you're warning your relatives and friends? Secondly, God's judgment reads like a joke to unbelievers who sin continually, seemingly, with no repercussions. The devil fosters this lie as explained by Solomon. Here's a, here it is. 
when the sentence for a crime is not quickly carried out, the hearts of the people are filled with schemes to do wrong. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. We have examples of this in Scripture. Pharaoh was warned by Moses to let his people go, or, or a plague of frogs would infest the land. Well, Pharaoh ignored the warning, and sure enough, Egypt was inundated with frogs. Frogs in the bed, frogs on the table, frogs in the food. That must have been terrible. Frogs everywhere. So he pleaded with Moses to remove the plague, and Moses complied based, based on the promise that Pharaoh would release the Israelites from bondage. But this is what we read. When Pharaoh saw that there was relief from the frogs, when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and he would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord said he would do. Exodus 8, verse 15. That's human, sinful nature. Give them an ounce, they'll take a mile. Give them a little bit of relief, they go right back to their old ways. Isaiah puts it this way. My soul yearns for you in the night. He's talking to God. In the morning, my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. When your judgments come, they learn righteousness. Though grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. <clears throat> so what is Isaiah arguing for? He's saying, God, when you pour out judgment, that's when we learn righteousness. But when you show grace to unbelievers, to the wicked, <coughs> they do not learn righteousness. He goes on. Even in a land of unrighteousness, they go on doing evil, and they regard not the majesty of the Lord. O oh Lord, your hand is lifted high. Whenever you see that expression in Scripture, it's talking about God holding the sword. He's getting ready to come down and really lambaste people. He says, your, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. They don't, they don't get it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Isaiah 26, verse 9 through 11. And Isaiah is saying something that's very, very true. He's observed this. When you send judgment, that's when the people wise up and learn what righteousness is. But when you're gracious towards them, when, you're, when you withhold your, your sword or your fire, they just go merrily on their way. As clearly as I can state it, continual sin without punishment may look and feel like you have pulled off a fast one on God. But it is you that has been deceived. Isaiah writes, you were wearied by all your ways, but you would not say, it is hopeless. You found renewal of your strength, and so you did not faint. Whom have you so dreaded and feared 
that you have been false to me and have neither remembered me nor pondered these things in your hearts. Is it not because I have long been silent that you do not fear me? I will expose your righteousness and your works, and they will not benefit you. When you cry out for help, let your collection of idols save you. The wind will carry all of them off. A mere breath will blow them away. But the man who makes me his refuge will inherit the land and possess my holy mountain. Isaiah 57, verse 10 and 5. See, God knows this about human nature. But because he's a merciful and gracious God, he doesn't always just, as soon as you sin, punish you with some kind of And so it is but a false sense of security to think that because God does not lower the boom on you immediately for sin, that you have escaped the notice and the punishment of God. No, God sees it all. Your works of righteousness will be exposed for the shaft they are and when the wind of God's discernment exposes their true nature. Your righteousness will be. God's delayed judgment must not be misconstrued to mean no judgment. The smile of mockery quickly faded from the faces of Lot's sons-in-law when the fireballs began raining on Sodom from heaven, but it was too little, too late. Their indifference, their unbelief had sealed. can't think that way you can't think yeah i sin every day and nothing happens nothing bad happens to me yeah well god's writing all these things in a book the day of judgment will be clear number three learn when judgment comes there is no recourse in delay but only in hasty compliance with god's directives look in our text and take note of all the references to haste. Verse 12, the two angels asked Lot if he had any people in the city, and without giving Lot an opportunity to answer, the angels went on to say, get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. There's a sense of urgency. Lot, in eager compliance, went out to the neighborhood to talk to his pledged sons-in-law, and what did he tell them? Verse 14, Hurry, get out of this place, because the Lord is going to destroy the city. A warning they ignored. Verse 15, with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, Hurry, take your wives and two daughters. Verse 16, when he hesitated, the men grasped his hands, the hands of his wife and his two daughters, and led them out of the city. What's that? That's a forced exit. I think kind of like, Come on, come on, come on. And they're dragging uh, Lot and his family. Verse 17, as soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives, flee to the mountains. And when Lot balked at the distance that he would have to travel 
and argued for Zor to be his destination, the angels agreed. Yet note verse 22, but flee there quickly because I cannot do anything until you reach it. Now, just add all of this up. Get out of here. Hurry and get out. Hurry, take your wife and daughters. The men grasped Lot, his wife, his daughters, and led them out. Flee for your lives. Flee to the mountains. Flee there to the city of Zor quickly. All total, there are eight references to haste in this text. Why the rush? Because God was about to act and the action was going to be lethal. This tells me that God's people are not immune. They are not immune from the judgment God brings on unrepentant sinners if they ignore God's warnings and drag their feet. The angels explained what would happen if Lot delayed. They said to him, you will be swept away when the city is punished. Verse 15, again verse 17, flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. I mean, could anything be more clear? In the military, when civilians are killed unintentionally because they got caught in a firefight with combatants, the term used by the military is collateral damage. That is to say, they were not the target, but they died anyway because they got in the way. We think God wouldn't, God wouldn't do that. He wouldn't do that. I mean, we are his people. We are his disciples. We are, we are believers. Okay, then if believers, why are you not heeding God's warnings? The only reason Lot and his immediate family made it safely out of Sodom was because of what we read in verse 16. The Lord was merciful to them. Oh, wow. There you got it. The Lord was merciful to them. But you and I have no claims on mercy when we disobey. God may be merciful, as he was with Lot, or he may not be merciful, as in the case of the two sons-in-law. The basic premise of the angels was correct. Flee for your lives. Or, yeah, be swept away when the city is punished. Verse 15, verse 17. They say that twice. You say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just trusting God to see me through. You're trusting God, huh? Jesus says it's something else. Let me read it for you. The devil led Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple and told him, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He, God, will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands. In other words, in other words, you won't be hurt because God has promised to catch you. 
you're the son of God. How did Jesus respond? He responded this way. It is also written, do not put the Lord to test. Matthew 4, verse 7. What was he saying? He was saying there's a vast difference between faith and presumption. Between getting caught in a dangerous situation and deliberately placing yourself in such a situation thinking, well, God will rescue me. To do the latter is to test God. You are presuming on God's goodness when you should have believed and obeyed the warning. It's not wise, nor is it faith, to play such games with God. Do what he tells you. Comply with his directives and live. If he warns you, obey. Don't sit there and say, well, you know, but I'm a child of God. Lot may have been doing a lot of that. Had to be drugged literally out of the city. God was merciful to him. And then lastly, as a lesson, I think we should learn this, that today, 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 is all that you have to repent and flee from God's wrath to come. Hebrews 3, verse 13, in following words it this way, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. As has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. What is the writer teaching us? He's teaching us this. The time to repent expires when God's clock starts clicking down the seconds to judgment. Let me say that again. The time to repent expires when God's clock starts ticking down the seconds to judgment. Sodom and all all that resided in the city were doomed the moment the outcry of their unrepentant sin reached the ears of God. Repentance is God's gift. And there is no repentant people in hell. No second chance to rethink your position before God. No effectual purgatory pray out. No back channel redemption. Today, today is the day of repentance and salvation. Today, not tomorrow. If you hear God's call, you're to heed. Today, not next week, not next month, not next year, is your day of salvation. You have guarantee on no breath but the one you have right now. God's call to you now is his mercy. It's his mercy as much as the angels leading Lot to safety by the hand. So my charge to you is to comply, comply, surrender, 
Flee, flee to Jesus while the moment of salvation is open to you. In other words, your window of opportunity may be closing as it did on Lot's sons-in-law. I don't know what they did when the fireball started falling. Maybe they looked at the gate and thought, let's make a run for it. Let's try. Looks like dear old dad was right. I don't know. Well, whatever it was, it was too late. Today, if you hear God's voice, it's the day to repent and believe. The fact that judgment hasn't come on you yet doesn't mean that it's not coming. Peter says, God is patient and long-suffering with you sinners, me too, with you sinners, not willing that any should perish, but that all of his people, is the intent, all of his people should come to repentance. Delay, delay, delay by God. Because what is he doing? He's gathering his sheep, he's gathering his sheep, he's gathering his sheep out of the world. Here a person, there a person. He's gathering and making his flock complete and full. But there's a day coming when the gateway to the sheepfold will be closed. No one else will enter. No one will exit. It'll be Noah all over again in his boat of safety, the ark, and God slams the door and seals it. No one in, no one out. The judgment falls. Let's pray. Father, send your word upon us in convicting ways. Draw us safely into your kingdom. Stir our hearts if today we hear your voice chiding us for our sin, holding out to us the cross of Christ, begging us, pleading with us by your grace and mercy to flee to Jesus, flee the wrath to come. Oh God, grant us that ability to do so. Open our eyes to see and believe. Grant us the repentance to leave our sin, leave it behind. Whatever that little bobble the world offers us, that that, that, uh, precious something, that gold this or that, the promise of fortune or fame or popularity or fancy cars and plush houses, whatever it is that Satan holds out and the world holds out and to us to keep us attached to it, God, cut the string, cut the umbilical, Lord, make us truly your children this day, for we ask for the glory of God. You will be glorified as you save whom you will. And you will have done sinners good. Amen. Our closing hymn is from Trinity.